<laughs> so as we uh, continue our sermon series called Reflections, where we're looking at uh, the ways in which we see into the Word of God and, and the Word of God sees back into our soul um, and sees the way in which uh, we struggle and it sees the way in which we um, differ from the heart of God and it calls us daily back into the presence of God. Um, and so as we dive in today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, that's where we'll kind of be leaning into Luke chapter 10. Uh, but before we do that, have you ever had one of those weeks where, um, where you find yourself thinking, there's got to be something better that I could do with my life, right? There's got to be something more to this. Uh, those weeks where you end up uh, like kind of scrolling through job boards, like, man, there's got to be something else. I, surely I could do something else, right? Uh, not to say that I had one of those weeks today, but I was looking at a, a, some, some job descriptions, and I, f- I came across this job that said the greatest job ever. And so I, I started, started reading it uh, because I'm intrigued. Here's, here's the, the job description that I found. Long-term team player needed for challenging permanent work, often in chaotic environments. Candidates must po- possess excellent communication and organizational skills, be willing to work variable hours, which will include evenings and weekends and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Regular travel is required, travel expenses not reimbursed. This is not about the greatest job. Wages and compensation, none. In fact, you will be required to pay your clients. Maybe required to maintain a second job in order to finance this position. You can expect a balloon payment around the age of 18 that will be second to a mortgage. Responsibilities and skills required to manage, keep, and organizational schedules of all members of the team. Have the ability to multitask while multitasking. Proficient in first aid, minor maintenance, janitorial services. Have intimate knowledge of all inventory at their given location at any time, responsible for inventory management and restocking duties or the delegation thereof. Previous experience, none required. On-the-job training, offered on a continual and exhausting basis. Length of contract, once signed, this contract is eternally binding and cannot be broken or paused. Possibility for advancement and promotion, None. Until you have trained and equipped your clients and they take on your title, at which point you'll be promoted to the title of Gigi, Grammy, or the title of your choosing. (laughs) I started to think about, you know, like, I don't think they'll ever find a, a hire for this job. But then, there you are, sitting in that role of mother, the most thankless, the most beautiful, the most life-changing job that anyone could ever have. You're here, and for the most part, for the most part, you have the most amazing job in the world. I couldn't be more grateful as we start out today for the moms in my own life, for the amazing job that you guys do to impact your kids and to set the example and to set the bar high. 
you have poured into and invested in so many and shown us the way of Christ, who, as Paul said, came not to be served, but to serve. So I pray today, on this Mother's Day, that you have the opportunity to be served. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thanks be to God for each and every one of you. As we lean into, uh, into Scripture today, we're going to be in, in chapter 10, and we're going to look at, um, at two women. Two women in Luke's gospel who, um, who felt the weight of the expectations of the world. Moms, you, you ever felt that? You ever felt the weight of the expectations of your family or expectations of the world on your life, on the roles that you're supposed to play, on the things that you're supposed to do? I think we each, each and every one of us has experienced some kind of outside expectation on our lives. So today as we dive into scripture, we see the story of Mary and Martha and how Jesus challenges their understanding of priority in light of those cultural expectations that are placed on them. Before we do that, let's dive into, or let's spend some time in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you take this, this word of God and would you mold, it, uh, mold us and shape us and transform us through uh, the, the words that you give to us today, through your scripture. God, we love you, we praise you, we honor you and give thanks um, for each of the moms in this room and the ways that they invest and pour out and model the heart of Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Oh, come on. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we see this story of Mary and Martha, but I want to backtrack a little bit to, uh, verse, to chapter 9, because I think it's important that when we read scripture, that we don't just read it in light of uh, what's happening in that one passage, but that we read it in context, because the writer, Luke, uh, these stories weren't new to the, re- to the readers, to the hearers. They've been hearing these stories over and over and over again in oral tradition, uh, but what's, what's unique about each of the Gospels is the way in which the author puts the stories together. And as we, as we see the way that they put the stories together, it illuminates parts of the text. And so it, earlier in chapter 9, if you flip back a couple pages to chapter 9, we see that Jesus has been training and equipping these disciples. And then in chapter 9, he sends... 12 of them, the 12 kind of key disciples, he sends them out on the first missionary journey. He says, go um, and, to, and go and preach and stay in people's houses. And if you find somebody of peace, go and stay there um, and preach the gospel in that area. Uh, almost, almost like he was sending them out um, as missionaries. He's been training and equipping, showing them how to do it. And then he says, now you go. You've seen me do it. Now you go and do it. These are the 12 disciples. So they come back and they're telling these stories and it's, it's, it's this unique experience of the way the Holy Spirit moved in their lives. And then we see a, f- a few more uh, uh, verses ahead in chapter 10. Jesus does the same thing, but not with the 12. He sends 72. And in this 72, um, it's like the next layer of Jesus's circle. The next layer of Jesus's uh, disciples. And we don't know a list of those, who those people are. But I think with where, um, where Luke puts the text in relation to this Mary and Martha story, I believe that, um, that Mary and Martha were in that, that second circle. We know that they followed Jesus closely. We know that they were close friends. We know that they were disciples. Um, but for, for two women to be disciples of Jesus 
was countercultural. It was, he was, Jesus was already breaking the expectations of what a woman was supposed to do in that culture. And so um, we see Jesus being this, this pioneer for, um, for the rights of women and for the responsibilities of, and the calling of women. So Mary and Martha have just experienced this profound movement of God. They've been sent out as disciples. And then we enter into this text in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to the village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Notice, it is Martha's home. It is her responsibility, her expectation to be hospitable in that culture. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do this work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her. Like, Jesus, you're the one. Tell her what the expectation is on her life. Tell her what she is supposed to be doing right now in this situation. I mean, Mary was sitting right there. Couldn't Martha have just gone up to to Mary and said, Hey, can you come help me in the kitchen? No, she went uh, around and went to the authority and said, tell her what, her what the expectation is for her. I want to back up before we move into what Jesus, how Jesus responds and help us to understand kind of what's going on here. Uh, so if first off in verse 39, it says that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. To sit at the Lord's feet, we imagine this, this closeness and proximity. Right? You ever had a, a clinger kid that is like, uh, when they're sick, they're like right by your side. They're like always right there and they, they won't leave your side. Um, I have a, our dog, Rosie, uh, is that same way. Um, man, Rosie loves me for some reason. I'm like her favorite. And every time that I sit down um, at like my desk to like, do some seminary work or whatever, or sit down to eat a meal, she literally sits underneath the table on top of my feet. Like, um, the most invasive uh, experience uh, that you can't move or, or function because she is right there. Uh, don't think so much in this situation about proximity, but think about an attitude of the heart. What we, what we understand uh, about Jewish culture is that to sit at, at the rabbi's feet was a, an idiom, an expression in their culture that meant that they were a disciple, a follower of the rabbi. To sit at a rabbi's feet meant that wherever he walked, you would walk right, by, right behind him and the dust of the rabbi's shoes would kick up onto your, to your garments. Um, I got to, when I was in Israel, uh, we were just walking in the streets, and uh, I got to see a rabbi walking in the streets, and like 15, like young, um, young Jewish boys with the, the yarmulke and the, and the beads uh, were walking right beside him, like all huddled around him, asking questions as he walked. It was such as this cool image of, of sitting at the, the master's feet. And so there was an eagerness, there was an attitude of desire to learn. So we understand that Martha, that, that we're comparing Martha and Mary here in this story. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet. But then the author of Luke says, Luke says, and listened to what he said. Uh, this, was, this is interesting because it's, uh, it's expected that the, 
the, the disciple who sits at the Lord's feet would already be listening to what the Lord said. But this is a, almost a redundant statement for the hearer of, this, uh, of this, this passage. That she'd be sitting at the Lord's feet and listening is kind of a given. And so what does he mean by listening? Listening in Luke's gospel is a, a common theme that keeps coming up, coming up, coming up. Um, not just a hearer of the word, but a listener of the word. Um, to not just hear, but to hear and do, to hear and obey. Um, so he is uh, stating here, Luke is stating here that Mary is not just sitting at his feet, but she is a listener of the word. We see Luke um, flesh this out in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, he tells the parable of the soils, and he tells about these different soils that uh, receive the, the seed of God, that he receive the word of God, and, and either um, the, the soil is shallow, or, um, or there's weeds, or there's thorns that come up and choke it out, um, and then he compares it to this good soil. And he says, a trait, distinguishing trait of the good soil is those who have ears to hear, let them hear. The good soil are those who listen to the word of God and receive it with joy. You see, I think Luke is drawing this connection to the parable of the good soil to Mary, not just sitting at his feet, but listening. Listening to what Jesus says. Contrast that with Martha. Martha was, keyword here, distracted. Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. These were guaranteed. They had to be made. These were the expectation that was on her. She, you can feel kind of the weight of that expectation. These, these preparations have to be made. I don't think Jesus had this mindset that these preparations had to be made. If Jesus wanted a meal right now, he just snaps his fingers and there's fishes and loaves right there. I don't think this, this had to be was an expectation of Jesus in this moment. The word in, in the Greek um, is... Is uh, the definition is to be drawn away, to be drawn, to be distracted is to be drawn away from the thing that matters. She was distracted. It means to be too busy or to be worried, to be distracted by a thing or a task. See, Martha is distracted by all of the worries of life, the cultural expectations that are placed on her. And the author makes specific note that you know that this distraction is negative. So, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of the work by myself? You can see, you can just imagine this scenario, right? She's like cleaning in the kitchen. She's, she's cooking, getting ready. Uh, she, at first, she just expects that Mary's going to come over eventually and help her. Then she starts, like, banging pots a little bit loudly, you know, while, the, while Jesus is in the other room talking. Starts clearing her throat a little bit loud, right? She's, she's getting the things out of the cabinets and slamming them shut a little bit louder. As she's sweeping, she might be inching over towards Mary, maybe sweeping a little bit of dirt on her feet, you know, to get her that little passive-aggressive nature, and it's building. You can see, you can feel the tension, the anxiety, the, 
the frustration building in what she asks the Lord to do. She has the audacity, the audacity to stop the creator of the universe in his tracks to ask him to clarify this situation for her sister. The attitude of her heart in comparison to the attitude of Mary's heart. Do you see the contrast? This word, distraction, this word, distraction, in reference to to Mary, is the same word that is used in the parable of, of the good soil related to the thorns. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, says the seeds fell amongst the thorns. The seeds that fell amongst the thorns stands for those who hear, who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. See, Jesus, Luke, in this scenario, is using Jesus to compare these two women and the attitude of their heart. Martha says, tell her to help me. And in verse 41, Jesus responds to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. We can think about uh, the attitude of Jesus as he speaks those words, Martha, Martha. We can, I, I can hear almost like a sarcasm in his voice. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered. But I, actually, I, I don't think it is that way. You see, there, there's a reason why Luke, the author, wrote Martha, Martha, wrote it twice. It's, it's only done a couple times in Scripture where uh, the person's name is stated twice. It's, it's a, a matter of seriousness. It tells us the tone of Jesus' voice. It tells us the intention of, what, of the next words that will be spoken. You see, in Genesis uh, chapter 46, verse 2, God calls Jacob to, uh, to be the father of, of the 12 tribes of Judah the 12 tribes of Israel, and, uh, and when he calls him, he says, Jacob, Jacob. As if he's bringing him from one place to a whole nother calling in his life. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, the Lord calls Moses to free the Israelites from Egypt. You know what he says at the burning bush? Moses, Moses. The other time that we see it in Scripture there's two other times. One is in 1 Samuel 3 when, when Jesus is calling Samuel in Eli's court into ministry to be a prophet and a priest. He calls him. He says, Samuel, Samuel. The only other time it's used is after this with Peter when he calls him into ministry the second time. He says, Peter, Peter. See, I don't think this is Jesus being sarcastic or rolling his eyes at Martha, Martha, Martha. No, I think, I think actually he's looking her deeply in her eyes and saying, Martha, Martha, I am calling you to something greater here. 
The words that I am about to say are going to change your life. This moment, this, this seemingly insignificant moment in the, while you're cleaning and cooking at this simple meal is going to be the pivot point for the rest of your life. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you in this room, it might be the pivot point for you as well. Because I think Jesus is speaking these words to us. I know that he's speaking these words to me. Hear these words. As if Jesus is speaking them directly to you. He says, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. As I was spending time with this text this week, um, I started to write down all of the the worries and the concerns, the fears, the anxieties, the, the pressures, the expectations that I feel on my life, and the list just kept going. And as I was writing, uh, I felt like the Lord was telling me to like, leave a space between each line. I didn't know why. I didn't have anything else to add in that space. But I felt like the Lord was telling me, like, leave a space. Leave a space. Leave space for me. Leave space for me. And so I would write these expectations. I wrote, I wrote uh, this long list of all of the things that I'm worried or concerned about, these, these things as I've um, gotten over, I feel like I've been overwhelmed with seminary this semester and, and stepping into this new role as uh, the pastor in the vine and, um, and just trying to balance all of the, the things with kids' sports. And, and it, there's so many expectations. And my list just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And my soul, my soul began to weep. I'm sitting on the back, uh, back porch and I just felt this, this weight, this heaviness. And then I heard these words so clearly. Jesus said, there's, there's nobody to impress here. All of your worries and all of your concerns are about, about impressing someone or meeting the expectations of, that someone else has put upon you. But I heard Jesus say those words, there's nobody to impress here. And so that became the line that I wrote underneath each of those phrases. The line, the space that, that Jesus had, had told me to leave became the space where he wrote over, wrote over my worries, wrote over my concerns, wrote, wrote over my fears. Church, I doubt your list is as long as mine was, but maybe it might be. But what are those worries? What are those anxieties, those fears, those doubts, those those tensions, those past experiences that are creeping into your world right now, the expectations that people or society or your family have put on you that are overwhelming and and burdening. Are you approaching those things like Mary or like Martha? Difference between Mary and Martha in this story is that Martha is so worried about doing exactly what is right in everyone's eyes except Jesus. All of these, all of these according to Luke's text about the the thorns, the thorny soil, 
all of these life's worries, riches, pleasures, they are keeping you from spiritual maturity. It is the enemy's goal, job, to steal, to kill, and destroy. So church, I want to um, leave, leave us with this. Three questions that, that may help to mold and shape how we take this from, from this place. First off, um, how are you intentionally sitting at the feet of Jesus? Because the world around you is not going to just let you spend time with Jesus. The world around you is not going to call you into spending time with Jesus, but the world around you is going to be a weed. There's going to be thorns that come up. There's expectations. There's the busyness of our schedules that will always, always try to choke out our time to sit at the feet of Jesus. That will... That will um, will fill those voids. I know the amount of times that, that I'm sitting and have nothing to do and then my phone dings and I pick it up and end up for 20 minutes scrolling through Instagram out of nowhere and it delays the things that are most important. Number two, how is your disconnectedness impacting your attitude? You see, the the disconnectedness that Martha has with Jesus in this moment has changed her attitude, has changed her behavior, has changed her from from love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. It's changed her to to be frustrated and indignant to be antsy and to be overwhelmed, to be, uh, to be pushy and aggressive in this relationship. If, these, if you've had a difficulty with the, the fruits of the Spirit recently, it's not a, not a, a 12-step program that, to fix myself or a, a Better Habits book that you need to read. It's spending time at the feet of Jesus. Because the fruits of the Spirit come from abiding in the vine. The fruits of the Spirit come from a connectedness to Jesus. And Mary, Mary experienced the freedom of that. You hear that? Mary experienced the freedom of that. I think we think that to add time with Jesus into our busy schedule is just to, to further burden us or further give us um, the, the challenge of, spin, of, of getting all of the things that we need to get done, done. And there's just not enough time in the morning to do that and all the other things that we need to do. But what we experience in this text is that the only one between Martha and Mary that's free is Mary who has cast aside those other expectations so that she can prioritize spending time with Jesus. And finally, I want to challenge us as a community. What would it look like? What would it look like if if our community focused on that one thing, that one thing that Jesus said is most important, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. What if? What if our heart's desire, our heart's passion as a community was to sit at the feet of Jesus? 
and allow that to shape everything else that we did. To be fully present with God and to be fully present with one another. How would that change and shape our relationships? How would, how would that change our family? How would that change our, our relationship with our phone? How would that change our relationship with our, our downtime? How would that transform our minds? Churches, we lean into this. As we lean into this passage, as we lean into the story, I pray that you would reflect, that our heart would begin to reflect the heart of Jesus. One thing, one thing that I'm calling you to do, sit at the feet of Jesus. That's it. Simplify it. Sit at the feet of Jesus above all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. God, give us the space to sit at your feet. Teach us to to prioritize relationship with you. Even when the expectation is welling up around us, even when uh, there are so many expectations on our lives and on our time, our mothers know this all, all the well. Fathers know this all the well. God, help us. Help us to sit at your feet above all else. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.